Chapter Three of Windsor Castle, Book Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, Windsor Castle, Book Two, by William H. Ainsworth, Chapter Three, of the visit of the two Guildford merchants to the forester's hut. Tristan Lindwood did not return home till late in the evening, and when informed of the cardinal's visit, he shook his head gravely. "'I am sorry we went to the hunting-party,' he observed. "'Valentine Hagthorne said mischief would come of it, and I wish I had attended his advice.' "'I see no mischief in the matter, grandsire,' cried Mabel. "'On the contrary, I think I have met with excellent fortune. The good cardinal promises me a high destiny, and says the king himself noticed me.' "'Would his regards had fallen anywhere than on you,' rejoined Tristram. "'But I warrant me you told the cardinal your history, all you know of it, at least.' "'I did so,' she replied. "'Nor did I know I was doing any harm.' "'Answer no such inquiries in future,' said Tristram angrily. "'But, grandfather, I could not refuse to answer the cardinal,' she replied in a deprecating voice. "'No more excuses, but attend to my injunctions,' said Tristram. "'Have you seen Morgan Fenwolf to-day?' "'No, and I care not if I never see him again,' she replied pettishly. "'You dislike him strangely, Mab,' rejoined her grandfather. "'He is the best keeper in the forest, and makes no secret of his love for you.' "'The very reason why I dislike him,' she returned. "'By the same rule, if what the cardinal stated be true, though trust me he was but jesting, you ought to dislike the king. But get my supper. I have need of it, for I have fasted long.' Mabel hastened to obey, and set a mess of hot pottage and other viands before him. Little more conversation passed between them, for the old man was weary, and sought his couch early. That night Mabel did nothing but dream of the king, of stately chambers, rich apparel, and countless attendants. She awoke, and finding herself in a lowly cottage, and without a single attendant, was, like other dreamers of imaginary splendor, greatly discontented. The next morning her grandsire went again to Bray Wood, and she was left to muse upon the event of the previous day. While busied about some trifling occupation, the door suddenly opened, and Morgan Fenwolf entered the cottage. He was followed by a tall man, with a countenance of extreme paleness, but a noble and commanding figure. There was something so striking in the appearance of the latter person that it riveted the attention of Mabel but no corresponding effect was produced on the stranger, for he scarcely bestowed a look upon her. Morgan Fenwolf hastily asked whether her grandsire was at home, or near at hand, and being answered in the negative, appeared much disappointed. He then said that he must borrow the skiff for a short while, as he wished to visit some nets on the lake. Mabel readily assented, and the stranger quitted the house, while Fenwolf lingered to offer some attention to Mabel, which was so ill-received that he was fain to hurry forth to the boat-house, where he embarked with his companion. As soon as the plash of oars announced their departure, Mabel went forth to watch them. The stranger, who was seated in the stern of the boat, for the first time fixed his large melancholy eyes full upon her, and did not withdraw his gaze till an angle of the lake hid him from view. Marvelling who he could be, and reproaching herself for not questioning Fenwolf on the subject, Mabel resolved to repair the error when the skiff was brought back. But the opportunity did not speedily occur. Hours flew by, the shades of evening drew on, but neither Fenwolf nor the stranger returned. Soon after dusk her grandfather came home. 
He did not express the least astonishment at Fenwolf's prolonged absence, but said that he was sure to be back in the course of the evening, and the skiff was not wanted. "'He will bring us a fine jack or a carp for dinner to-morrow, I'll warrant me,' he said. "'If he had returned in time we might have had fish for supper. No matter. I must make shift with the mutton pie and a rasher of bacon.' "'Morgan did not mention the name of his companion, you say?' "'He did not,' replied Mabel. "'But I hope he will bring him with him. He is the goodliest gentleman I ever beheld.' "'What? A goodlier gentleman than the king?' cried Tristram. "'Nay, they should not be compared,' replied Mabel. "'The one is stout and burly, the other slight, long-visaged and pale, but handsome withal, very handsome.' "'Well, I dare say I shall see him anon,' said Tristram. "'And now for supper.' "'for I am as sharp-set as a wolf, and so is old Hubert,' he added, glancing affectionately at the hound by which he was attended. Mabel placed the better part of a huge pie before him, which the old forester attacked with great zeal. He then fell to work upon some slices of bacon toasted over the embers by his granddaughter, and having washed them down with a jug of mead, declared he had supped famously. While taking care of himself he did not forget his hound. From time to time he threw him morsels of the pie, and when he had done he gave him a large platter full of bones. "'Old Hubert has served me faithfully nigh twenty years,' he said, patting the hound's shaggy neck, and must not be neglected. Throwing a log of wood on the fire, he drew his chair into the ingle-nook and disposed himself to slumber. Meanwhile Mabel busied herself about her household concern— and was singing a lulling melody to her grandfather, in a voice of exquisite sweetness, when a loud tap was heard at the door. Tristram roused himself from his doze, and old Hubert growled menacingly. "'Quiet, Hubert, quiet!' cried Tristram. "'It cannot be Morgan Fenwolf,' he added. "'He would never knock thus. Come in, friend, whoever thou art.' At this invitation two persons darkened the doorway. The foremost was a man of bulky frame and burly demeanour, he was attired in a buff jerkin, over which he wore a loose great surcoat, had a flat velvet cap on his head, and carried a stout staff in his hand. His face was broad and handsome, though his features could scarcely be discerned in the doubtful light to which they were submitted. A reddish-coloured beard clothed his chin. His companion, who appeared a trifle the taller of the two, and equally robust, was wrapped in a cloak of dark green camlet. "'Give you good e'en, friend,' said the foremost stranger to the forester. "'We are belated travellers on our way from Guildford to Windsor, "'and seeing your cottage have called to obtain some refreshment "'before we cross the great park. "'We do not ask you to bestow a meal upon us, "'but will gladly pay for the best your larder affords.' "'You shall have it, and welcome, my masters,' replied Tristram. "'But I am afraid my humble fare will scarcely suit you.' "'Fear nothing,' replied the other. "'We have good appetites, and are not overly dainty. "'Beshrew me, friend,' he added, regarding Mabel. "'You have a comely daughter.' "'She is my granddaughter, sir,' replied Tristram. "'Will your granddaughter, then,' said the other, "'by the mass a lovely wench. "'We have none such in Guildford, "'and I doubt if the king hath such in Windsor Castle. "'What say you, Charles Brandon?' "'It were treason to agree with you, Harry Leroy.' replied Brandon, laughing, for they say the king visits with a halter all those who disparage the charms of the Lady Anne Boleyn. But comparisons apart, this damsel is very fair. "'You will discompose her, my masters, if you praise her thus to her face,' said Tristram somewhat testily. "'Here, Mab, bring forth all my scanty larder affords, and put some rashers of bacon on the fire.' 
"'Cold meat and bread will suffice for us,' said Harry. "'We will not trouble the damsel to play the cook.' With this Mabel, who appeared a good deal embarrassed by the presence of the strangers, spread a cloth of snow-white linen on the little table, and placed the remains of the pie and a large oven-cake before them. The newcomers sate down and ate heartily of the humble viands, he who had answered to the name of Harry, frequently stopping in the course of his repast, to compliment his fair attendant. "'By Our Lady, I have never been so waited on before,' he added, rising and removing his stool towards the fire, while his companion took up a position with his back against the wall near the fireplace. "'And now, my pretty Mabel, have you never a cup of ale to wash down the pie?' "'I can offer you a draught of right good mead, master,' said Tristram, "'and that is the only liquor my cottage can furnish.' "'Nothing can be better,' replied Harry. "'The mead, by all means.' While Mabel went to draw the liquor, Tristram fixed his eyes on Harry, whose features were now fully revealed by the light of the fire. "'Why do you look at me so hard, friend?' demanded Harry, bluffly. "'I have seen someone very like you, master,' replied Tristram, "'and one whom it is no light honour to resemble.' "'You mean the king,' returned Harry, laughing. "'You are not the first person who has thought me like him.' "'You are vain of the likeness, I see, master,' replied Tristram, joining in the laugh. "'How say you, Mab?' he added to his granddaughter, who at that moment returned with a jug and a couple of drinking-horns. "'Whom does this gentleman resemble?' "'No one,' returned Mabel, without raising her eyes. "'No one,' echoed Harry, chucking her under the chin. "'Look me full in the face, and you will find out your mistake.' "'Mary, if I were the royal Henry, instead of what I am, a plain Guildford merchant, I should prefer you to Anne Boleyn.' "'Is that said in good sooth, sir?' asked Mabel, slightly raising her eyes, and instantly dropping them before the ardent gaze of the self-styled merchant. "'In good sooth and sober truth,' replied Harry, rounding his arm and placing his hand on his lusty thigh in true royal fashion." "'Were you the royal Henry, I should not care for your preference,' said Mabel, more confidently." "'My grandsire says the king changes his love as often as the moon changes—nay, oftener. "'God's death! Your grandsire is a false knave to say so,' cried Harry. "'Heaven help us! You swear the king's oaths,' said Mabel. "'And wherefore not, sweetheart?' said Harry, checking himself. "'Is it enough to make one swear, in a royal fashion too, to hear one's liege lord unjustly accused? "'I have ever heard the king styled a mirror of constancy.' "'How say you, Charles Brandon? Can you not give him a good character?' "'Oh, an excellent character,' said Brandon. "'He is constancy itself, while the fit lasts,' he added aside. "'You hear what my friend says, sweetheart?' observed Harry. "'And I assure you he has the best opportunities of judging. "'But I'll be sworn you did not believe your grandsire when he thus maligned the king.' "'She contradicted me flatly,' said Tristram. "'But pour out the meat, girl. Our guests are waiting for it.' While Mabel, in compliance with her grandsire's directions, filled the horn, the door of the cottage was noiselessly opened by Morgan Fenwolf, who stepped in, followed by Bozzy. He stared inquisitively at the strangers, but both were so much occupied by the damsel that he remained unnoticed. A sign from the old forester told him he had better retire. Jealous curiosity, however, detained him, and he tarried till Harry had received the cup from Mabel, and drained it to her health. He then drew back, closed the door softly, and, do and joined a dark and mysterious figure, with hideous lineaments and an antlered helm upon its brows, lurking outside the cottage. Meanwhile, a cup of mead having been offered to Brandon, he observed to his companion, 
We must now be setting forth on our journey. Night is advancing, and we have five long miles to traverse across the great park. I would stay where I am, rejoined Harry, and make a bench near the fire serve me in lieu of a couch, but that business requires our presence at the castle to-night. There is payment for our meal, friend, he added, giving a mark to Tristram, and as we shall probably return to-morrow night, we will call and have another supper with you. Provide us a capon and some fish from the lake. You pay as you swear, good sir, royally, replied Tristram. You shall have a better supper to-morrow night. You have a dangerous journey before you, sir, said Mabel. They say there are plunderers and evil spirits in the great park. I have no fear of any such, sweetheart, replied Harry. I have a strong arm to defend myself, and so has my friend Charles Brandon. And as to evil spirits, a kiss from you will shield me from all ill. And as he spoke, he drew her towards him, and clasping her in his arms, imprinted a score of rapid kisses on her lips. Hold, hold, master! cried Tristram, rising angrily. This may not be. Tis an errant abuse of hospitality. Nay, be not offended, good friend, replied Harry, laughing. I am on the lookout for a wife, and I know not, but I may take your granddaughter with me to Guildford. She is not to be so lightly won, cried Tristram, for though I am but a poor forester, I rate her as highly as the haughtiest noble can rate his child. And with reason, said Harry. Good night, sweetheart. By my crown, Suffolk, he exclaimed to his companion as he quitted the cottage, she is an angel and shall be mine. Not if my arm serves me truly, muttered Fenwolf, who, with his mysterious companion, had stationed himself at the window of the hut. Do him no injury, returned the other. He is only to be made captive, mark that, and now to apprise Sir Thomas Wyatt. We must intercept them before they reach their horses. End of chapter 3